Well, look at us. Episode eight. We are slowly making it to double digits. I'm impressed with us. All right. So episode eight is a person I had never met before. This conversation you're hearing is our first interaction. His name is Jordan Hampton. He works with the NCADA, uh, among many other addiction recovery organizations in the St. Louis area. And he himself, he is in long-term recovery. So you'll learn a lot about him and the choices that he has made in his life. Or as we say at the end, he's lived a couple of lives, it seems. It's a really inspirational story with some very heavy moments. So just be aware of that. But one thing that you need to know is there's a lot of resources in this episode. And so if you yourself are suffering from addiction or you have somebody that you know that maybe would benefit from some of the resources in this episode, please direct them to this or or write some things down as you're learning about them and pass them on, you know, educate yourself and those around you that there is help out there. And you'll understand how much a life can change based on Jordan Hampton's story. So sit back, get yourself some coffee, but enjoy my conversation with Jordan Hampton. about I want to like pick your brain about your personal story and where you are at today and give a little bit more of an education to people that maybe are unaware of how difficult addiction is I I guess just educate people on what what's going on I read a little bit about you so you're from Farmington Missouri I'm from Farmington yes you were a football star in your town (laughs) I read yeah I don't know if that's (laughs) self-proclaimed but yeah. We'll go with it. Okay. Obviously are in recovery with addiction. Yeah. From addiction. Right. In in recovery. In recovery. Right. Okay. I'm, I'm a, so they, I guess the technical term would be a person in long-term recovery. Okay. And, and see, that's what I'm glad to hear because I don't know how to arrange speaking about this. Sure. And so that's kind of part of the education. Well, they, you know, I mean, a lot of words that we've used in the past has been like attached to like stigma. Yeah. You know, like... That's an addict. Right. That person is a drug abuser. Right. You know, and so it kind of puts like a bad stigma around a person. And it's like very difficult for that person to hear those words and feel any type of like self-worth. It's like, well, I'm just a junkie or I'm just a no good for nothing addict. So like they try to use like, I'm a person in, I'm a person in recovery that suffered with substance use. Okay. In long-term recovery. In long-term recovery, yeah. So, um, I um, so from Farmington, you know, like I guess football. It's a small town, so yeah. it's like a small football town. That's kind of everything down there, right? So, like my identity was found in that. I get it. Um, I was a journalism geek and a prom queen, so I understand the small town. Right. So you get it. Yeah. And and so. I've kind of got, I think I actually got lost in that because since it was found in like small town, like football, everything's just great. And when uh, my, my mom is a person in recovery as well, and yeah. she struggled off and on um, for, I mean, I guess the majority of my adulthood. So at the time, like when I was leaving school, she had kind of, she had relapsed. Um, that was hard for me as I started, like, was adjusting. I went to SEMO. Right. Very short stay. <laughs> a semester. Yes. Because when I left, um, you know, I just had, I struggled to, like, I struggled to respond to that 
like I had my mom who had relapsed. I was having trouble getting all of my credits transferred. I went down there to play football. It wasn't just like wasn't working out. Right. So it just like kind of crumbled. And I didn't have a solution to it. I just knew I like felt horrible, mm-hmm. confused, and like didn't really know what to do. But I had been you know, smoking marijuana. Yes. And so like that was I knew that like that was a like kind of an immediate escape that I had. Um, that of course started to progress and um, it was then like prescription opioids I then left school I then came back home Um, and so it really for the next gosh seven years um, was me just running around the country you know, like trying to take different jobs. I had some really cool jobs, conservation work in the backcountry, like different, like That's really, neat. really like cool stuff. Like I always had cool opportunities and I'd met, I would meet great people. Yeah. Always met like extremely just kind hearted, generous, like just great people. And, um, I couldn't, I, I learned a lot in the process, you know, like throughout my addiction, you know, just running around to wherever and meeting different people. But I, I always, I never looked internally. I never, like, was willing to, like, process what I had went through and, like, why I was reaching the substances in the first place. Right. And then once I got my hands on the wrong substances, you know, it's got it got its hooks in me. What do you mean the wrong substances? So, it, so prescription opioids then progressed to heroin. Heroin then got me in a little bit of trouble, some legal, some legal trouble. Ended up getting, you know, a couple months in jail. And while I was in there, came out and decided that um, amphetamines was going to be the next next love. Yeah. And um, ran with that for a good four or five years. And really, wow. that's when it got, like, extremely dark. You know, I mean, it was a whole different group of, whole different group of people in a whole different part of town, you yeah. know. And um, I... Like lost my sand. I mean, lost any sanity that sure. any sanity I had. Absolutely. You know, like I was in the psych, you know, psych units probably on the upwards of thirty to forty times residential treatment. I'd go to Teen Challenge. Like I just was reaching. I just didn't really like the willingness was never really there. I guess for me, I would get tired and like kind of like kind of desperate but I was still intrigued like I still felt like there was just like more like I, I admired the the dope dealer or I sure. admired the you know and I just gotten so lost in guilt and shame at that point that I just didn't think there was a way out like I never saw another way of life that was that was obtainable for me like I'd gotten so far away from what I once was doing that it just seemed extremely far-fetched to like even have a car that was paying the bills for in my apartment and going to the grocery store right. and just working like any sustainable job it didn't matter what it was I'm like that is not like it's just not me like it's I'm like a kid outside of the a home you know just kind of like watching this dream that I'm never going to I'll never meet that's an interesting way to put it because I feel like your analogy of child looking inside of a house that they maybe aren't living inside of yeah I feel like that's kind of like a, um, a fork in the road where I can understand and have empathy with the idea that like whatever rock bottom is for people on an individual basis and when it comes to the decision of, okay, do I have 
the resources available to pick myself up and choose this more lit way of living where I can get on the road to recovery or am I going to continue down this very dark path that is almost easier for a lot of people to choose because it's all that they feel maybe that they're worth and I feel like if people can maybe just kind of envision that like what maybe what they would do if I can go back to your mom really fast sure you know, reading that your mom also struggled with addiction, and I, I read that it was your senior year. Were you the oldest? I was the oldest. Okay. Yeah, so my sister's three years younger than me, so she kind of watched. Everything yeah. happen as it did. Yeah. I was thinking, as I was reading this story about um, the prom and how your mom wasn't there, and then you started to become afraid that maybe she had relapsed. Like, I wonder what was going through her mind if it was something like her baby's all grown up and going to be leaving the house soon and there, that was triggering or, you know, I, I don't really, I don't think anybody can really pinpoint exactly what causes people to go down these roads or to relapse, but I, I and kind of pick apart what exactly happened where you watched your mom go down that road and then I read later after you came back from SEMO that you and your mom mm-hmm. both used together and I just thought my, like my heart just broke reading that because I can't even imagine as a mom and as a son and as a duo Mm -hmm. having a dark moment like that Um, and I just wonder you know you have been you've had all these great resources you've had I read positive uh, positive support systems access to these resources you had medical treatments and you had transitional living which I want to get into you know I just wondered, you know, where did your mom fit in with that, all of that, uh, to where you are today? Sure. And and as far as, like, the all of those resources that you're speaking on, <clears throat> I, um, they never, it didn't all, I, I wasn't aware that they were all there, mm-hmm. nor was, um, at that time, you know, as we've we've really evolved as far as like the way that we view like substance use and like this is you know the beginning stages of of my I guess attempts at recovery like I knew um like inpatient you just go to residential Mm -hmm. and you clean it up you maybe learn a cool phrase or two this is rehab you're saying yeah like yeah like rehab okay so like that was kind of like the only avenue I knew you know I'm in a in Farmington there's like not a there's not a ton we've got a you know inpatient that's there in town but like that was I'm like okay this is what you do you go to inpatient you come out and it's in your addictions in remission forever yeah but naive right yeah it, you know like that was just kind of the <laughs> right. idea I'm like but every time I'd come back out and slip back into it I'm like geez you know I don't know what's I don't know what's wrong with me you don't know why I keep going to that but <clears throat> with um you know my and my mom she was a like she was diehard 12 step and that was like her program which is a great program yeah absolutely you know what I mean like and that was what worked for her she also had endured like a lot of like a whole lot of trauma like a ton of trauma um and so I think it was when you know I came back and we were kind of sitting in the same room together looking at each other like okay, there's this elephant in the room that I know what you have been doing. Mm-hmm. And she, from her ends, like, I know that you're sick from what you have been doing, and we now identify in that who's going to say something first. Right. 
and that wow. was kind of and that's exactly how it started and like once we like broke that line right then like we did um there was for the next like four years i guess um we were in it together wow. you know and just kind of like survival style um you know, you use your strengths, I use my strengths, and we just make sure each other doesn't die out here. Yeah. You know, so that, that, but that got harder and harder, you know, because, I mean, if you can, like, that's why they talk about relationships when both parties are suffering with addiction. Like, it's, it's really hard to help have a healthy dynamic in, in any way. Sure. You know, I mean, that they give that suggestion all the time. Like, don't jump into a relationship, a relationship you know, and they, you know, you'll hear a lot, like, a relationship, you know, within the first year, mm-hmm. just because you're you're emotionally, I mean, you're not ready for something like that. Like your worth is not up. You're probably at a high risk of codependency, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, my mom and I were emotionally tied so close. Obviously, yeah, um, it made it really really difficult, and it made it like it was very up and down. I mean, it was a roller coaster of back and forth and treating each other poorly and then trying to find each other. And it was, I mean, all over the, really all over the country. I mean, do, do you and your mom have a, an okay relationship now or is it nor, as normal as one, as it could have been before? Like how, like, I mean, if that's too personal, you don't have to answer that, but I mean, how is your relationship with your mom today? Yeah. Um, it's, much, much, much better. Like That's it is, it, it's, it's healed in a way I didn't know if it ever, I didn't know if it would ever get here. I mean, I didn't know if I would be here. So I, mean, right. I guess, let alone like have a um, any sense of like a mom son relationship again. She's now like she's in, um, she's in Harris House, and she's in there transitional living, and she's doing really well. She's employed, you know, and um, I've worked with. Um, her counselor there just to kind of like help me draw you know like boundary like lines and where we're not getting you know resentful towards each other in any way I just want any precautions to make this and set the foundation of like a healthy relationship with someone that you've endured so much with um I've, I've tried to go and so has she to great lengths to do so so like it's it's good now that's good yeah it's good it's healthy to have boundaries I mean Obviously, your story is more complex from maybe, like, you know, the cleavers. But I think it's always healthy to have boundaries with family members anyway. So, I mean, that's perfectly, in quotation marks, normal to set up in any situation. But obviously, in, in your story, line with her, yeah. I think it's so important. Um, you know, how long have you been in recovery? Uh, so, it was three years on September 1. Okay. And... So, you know, let's go back to you're going into these kind of brief rehabs. Yeah. When did you decide to take that next step where it was medical or it was a neck? I don't even know because I'm such a novice. Like, what was the next step whenever you realize, okay, I'm going in and out of this inpatient thing and it's not really working and then I'm coming out? Like, how did you find the next step and, like, who... Did you have a mentor that was guiding you in these ways? Or how did you even come to, you know, I, I was reading all the different uh, organizations you've worked with, you know, Archway Institute, the Gateway Foundation, um, Recovery House, the NCADA. How did you 
find all these places, you know? And, and was there a peer or was there a mentor in some way that helped guide you into these organizations? Absolutely. Um, you know, it, if you ask anyone, any, I mean, suffering with substance use issues or not, change, like, Lauren, change your people, places, and things yeah. today. Right. Nightmare. I mean, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. it's just, like, so hard. Right. So hard to Absolutely. do. Absolutely. And um, it's it's hard to do that without someone else being like, okay, like, I know that may be shocking to you, but, hey, I've got this place, like, kind of set up. Mm-hmm. There's some people around that I'm going to hook you up with. Right. And they do these things, and they, like, Takes they're the happy. Takes the edge off. Right. So, just, it's a daunting feeling, you know, unless there is someone, you know, whoever that would be you know if I'm sitting here explaining to you like hey it's not going to be as bad as you think you know like we've got these things in place like it's going to be okay right so there was a I did have a a peer when I got to residential rehab for the last time Um, I was like in a it's kind of funny I was in a pretty good little like psychosis when I had initially called down there and I had thought I'd been like in a movie for the last couple of years. Um, it oh felt my. like the, it felt like the Truman Show. Like I thought people were watching you. I was in either I was in hell or I was on a movie. Wow. I didn't really know, but I was. I just yeah felt like I was always being watched. So when I called when I called the treatment facility, I said, "Hey, um, I know you guys have been expecting me. I'm ready ready to go, <laughs> ready to go to work." And they, and they their, oh. their, their their response is like, "You know, sir, I." Um, we're going to see if we have availability. Right. Like, I don't really know what you're talking about coming to work and we've been expecting Right? You. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, yeah. So, I when I did get... It turns out, you know, um, they, they did have space for me. They did call me back. And I did go for this last time. Um, and I had a peer there that I had never seen. Like, I'd been to this, you know, facility a few times. my hometown. But right. there was... They had a new hire, I guess. And... Um, this person, um, his name's Colton Baker, kind of what we were briefly talking about mm-hmm. before we started, um, and he was there running group, and he was young, and he was, like, full of energy, and pretty quick-witted, yeah. and, like, was a per you know, he was in recovery as well, he said he's, you know, from St. Louis, he's up here, and he talked about, you know, recovery house, and I, I just, like, kind of, I'm sitting there just observing, picturing all this, I'm like, man, this dude is the man. You loved him. I loved him. Yeah. I absolutely loved him. I loved, I just observed everything. I was like, holy cow, like this is... Magnetic in a way. Absolutely. Definitely, like, a, there was like a divine, you know, connection there. I love that. Um, I, strong, I mean, it's just me. Yeah. Like, you know, but uh, I believe that, you know, God works through people. Sure. You know, and that's like my foundation for all of this from start to now. But he, um, you know, like I, the timing of that was couldn't have been better and we hit it off he started working with me on like an individual basis afterwards and uh because i'm like dude what's going on like where are you at like (laughs) Like, i I need to be wherever you are can you throw me in the back of the car right and let's just go and um, wow you know essentially that's what happened like he um he was the catalyst absolutely the catalyst he had called you know my family members for me like at that point there were no there wasn't like there's very little grant funding for like we do have now tons of it right and um, that's helped access in many many different ways for a lot of people who wouldn't get treatment so you're saying there's a grant there's many grants out there for people that maybe don't have the means to fund themselves through recovery 
That's outstanding. Yes, and and we'll get to that here in just you know yeah. here shortly because that is a huge difference maker. Absolutely, now for, it is. Um, but you know, it was um, he did the work, put in the front end work. You know, brought me up to um, to recovery house and was like, you know, I just kind of don't leave before the miracle happens. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I had a whole when I when I first got up there, it was like a, it was adjusting. I'm like, holy cow! Like this is what new people and places and things feels like. Yeah. And so you know, it kind of dropped me to my knees totally, and I'm glad it did. And because uh, wow. I stayed, you know, I, I stayed and I stayed with it and. Um, jobs became better jobs and um, responsibility became more responsibility and I just I loved it I, I loved the people that were ahead of me and how they lived their life and they were all in recovery and it, it probably gave you a, la- a, a sense of self-esteem back to see this is something that's obtainable for me yeah because for so long you were without that esteem that you know you were like you said, like in a dark place where maybe it was a lot of self-loathing or you were looking on the inside of something that you don't think you could have obtained. And then all of a sudden you see people that have gone down the same roads as you see, be these magnificent leaders. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, I, I assume that's why you're a peer counselor now, because you were kind of paying it forward to everyone who helped get you to this spot where you're at. So now you're able to give back and give advice and possibly mentor or guide people that are just starting out is day one yeah yeah it's um it's an opportunity like that's how I show my gratitude that's awesome you know just for the the ones that came before me and the ones that come after me it's just to be like a a vessel of hope that I receive um and it's 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 so much bigger than just even like so much bigger than me obviously but um just understanding the importance of that like of that vessel of hope is huge because I I had not seen that in a way that was appealing to me until that person. And you just don't know what you are to someone else, you know? Right. Like, you just, you never know. And so, we need, like, more people that are in recovery to be, like, outspoken. Because you just yes. don't know who's who's struggling that will identify with that. Right. And they're more than likely not going to just come out, like... Hey Lauren, I see you over there getting your coffee. By the way, yeah, um, you know I shoot heroin when I leave here. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, nobody's going to bring that up. It, it takes a minute. It yeah. takes a minute, and it takes it's a it's a lot of like love, compassion, and, and tolerance, and a desire to be able to give back. You know, to to do that, and you just kind of make yourself accessible and change the stigma. Change the stigma, absolutely. And that it's it's not we're not the ones you know that are lying and cheating and stealing and digging out of your purse and uh, like at one point absolutely possibly does right. it st- does that stay with you no. for life no absolutely not right. uh, more times than none on this side of things you know your values flip very quickly and they are probably the ones that will return a dime to you that you dropped you know out in the parking lot because that's not theirs yeah. And I have to live honest to keep my peace of mind because this is my quality of life that protects my sobriety now. Yes. You know. In addition to that, recognizing that addiction is a disease is something that is so, and I, and I see this all the time. You know, I work in the rock music field where, yeah. unfortunately, we've lost so many fantastic human beings to this disease. You have to have some, you have to give these people grace 
to recognize what that they have a disease. And then as people are trying to get themselves into recovery and then being in recovery, like even just taking a step towards recovery is a huge step. And then staying with it for a lifetime. Imagine having to do anything <laughs> for, for the rest of your life. And so even though, and I, I speak about this, I'm a novice, like I said, but my cousin, he is a heroin user. Yeah. He has been in prison twice now. He just got out. I'm deeply affected because I love him so much, but yeah. I'm, I'm, I have my boundaries up right now because it's like a really slow roll trying to get back into helping him and trying to, I want to be the most productive person for him, but I also can't take all of that on him myself. He has to make a lot of decisions for himself. There's a lot of anger as a family member and there's a lot of love mixed in there too. One of the reasons I wanted to talk with you is because I, I want to be educated to know how as a family member I can help him. It's, it's so hard. And I think a lot of people that maybe will listen to this will know someone in their lives that they're trying to be compassionate with and understand, and they're just lost. You know, I mean, do you have any guidance for family members or people that are personally involved with people who are actively using? I I don't even want to say he's in recovery because I don't think he's necessarily there. I don't know if he's made the choice yet to, like, really try to get to recovery you know, what What do you suggest for people like me? Yeah, you know, it's, um, what you find is that because of, like, you, you know, explained how the anger, like, all the love, like, there's just, like, so many emotions right. that, and I, and also you're, you would be one that's um, probably easiest to be manipulated, and I'm, yes. right? And so it, it, it hurts because you feel... Like that was, you feel as if it was, um, you know, in that moment that it's like it's it's personal, right? You know, and um, the best way that was described, you know, just kind of starting point on this, the best way it was described to me is that if someone is, let's say, if I'm physically ill, mm-hmm. right, and, and I'm walking through this coffee shop, I, I don't, and I'm trying to run to the bathroom, I don't say, hey, I see that gal over there, and I'm spewing on her. Right. Right? It's like I, I get sick and it goes all over the place. Right. And, and I didn't necessarily choose who got it, but probably whoever was closest got the worst of it. Yeah. You know? And so that's always helped me. Um, I can understand that. I get it. You know? So 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 knowing that, I think knowing that is the first part of it. Okay. That this was, this was not a, a personal, personal attack, attack on, on me. me. Right. right. It was, um, he is suffering with a, a disease of addiction and... Um, does not mean he like there might be hateful things said or I mean who all the above yeah right and and I'm sure whoever's listening could be well this this that and the other I absolutely understand one I did that now I'm on this side of things and and I get to coach on the other side (laughs) ironically enough um but it's a I think that it's easiest for a family member to have the peace of mind to have like the upfront conversation is hard of what you are willing to, and you and you really almost need like a third party to help with this, um, or or you know you need to reach to someone objective to help set initial boundary lines, what you can and cannot do, because what you do want to sh- show is I want to show love and support. Right. How close can I get? Yes. What what exactly can I do? What does that look like? Does that mean that I can can I can I get them groceries? You know, can I? 
can I help them with like transportation? Right. Like what you know, what can I do? How close can I get? So you want to figure out what that is, and that's going to be that's going to be different for probably just about. Every, there's there's no cookie cutter way necessarily of doing this, but I think first up, know that it's not personal. I do want to love and support him. I need an objective party to help me and my like parameters here right. to know what I can do. From that point, it's not going to be your hands necessarily that that cures it. Absolutely. And you want to. Oh, I know. <laughs> you know. I know. You want to. Me, I know. <laughs> no one loves my son like I love him. There's no one. You know, if, if right. anything, he would do it for me. Right. Yeah, but that's not the truth. It's not the it truth. It has to be for them. They have to. And so, how do you? So, how do you create willingness in another person? Yeah. You know, and you and you you can't. You don't have that type of control. But what you can show is because you'll see family members. It's a family disease. They'll it, lose their mind over over this. Oh yeah, no, my family just per, and I. I don't mind getting very personal about this. Yeah. It's funny that you brought up groceries and transportation. I, I used to buy my cousin when he when he, after he got out of the halfway house from prison. Yeah. And he had moved into a small apartment. My mom gave him a bike so he could ride to the MetroLink so he could go to work, and that was working for a really long time. And I would buy him groceries. I would never give him money because I always wanted to have an accountability. Like I wanted him to eat first of all, but I also wanted. This is my way of showing love and like making sure that you can save your money for hopefully a better apartment or a car. And so that was the first instance. And then he relapsed and went back to prison. While he was in prison, he wrote one of the first letters because we would always write letters. Okay. And um, and I would never give money. I would always just. I, I told him I go. I'm here for mental support. I will talk to you always. We will never not talk. Like anytime you need to say anything or bitch or moan or whatever. Like I'm here and I will take it and I will love you and talk to you forever. So we did that. And one of the first letters he sent me when he went back to prison was he wanted me to put. And he obviously was a bit out of his mind. He said, "I want you to put two thousand dollars in my commissary fund because I need a TV and I need all this stuff." And I was so pissed at this point that I was like, "I am done!" Like I yeah. was just so, you know, I did feel personally attacked. Yeah. I didn't take it in. And then we didn't talk for the longest time. When he got out, he came to see me at a radio remote, and he looked well. He did, but I'm still building up that trust with him because there was so much that he wasn't telling me that I was really wanting to understand, so I could point him in a direction right that willingness that I wanted to help him adopt but couldn't and so you know I'm at this point now where uh, we haven't really spoken and he's in a relationship with a woman who I don't really know and I worry for him I, I don't I haven't heard anything from our family our family has been completely busted up by this because his mom and dad I wouldn't say his dad takes care of him as best he can but like it's complex family dynamic and then there's a lot of trust issues throughout that side of the family um and i'm still one of the ones that is like i still want to help him and i still love him so much and i want to be a resource for him instead of a wall i don't want to put up a wall because i don't think that i never thought that was helpful to not to like block him out or something you know so anyway that you just kind of triggered me with a couple of things and i was like i need to you're like explaining all the examples of how families can do this maybe in quotes, wrong way of helping. So it's it's just super hard to find the, the balance between what is love and support and what is enabling. Mm-hmm. 
Like that's that is such a, totally. it's, it's extremely hard and and it's it may take I mean it may take time it may take you know I mean that's why they have Al-Anon you know I mean that's why they have groups for families to learn and what is be, Al-Anon I don't know what that is so Al-Anon is for that's a that's a twelve step program for the families that oh, right are on. supporting the one who is working on their that's amazing disease. I didn't even know that existed yeah. So like that's so like Al-Anon's like great, and you and you can kind of because it's a, it's a lot of similar principles, you know, like accepting the things that you can't change. Right. You know, for instance, you know, for instance, <laughs> everybody can use that one, honestly. Not, you know, and, and, and even you know finding the, the the courage to change the things you can. So it's like I can, in the, I I just always like love the Serenity Prayer, and I just think it plays well on on both sides. But you know, you would learn a a lot of. You know, a lot about the steps and a lot about, um, you know, just like different principles that you can utilize um, from the, even to families, you know, from the family side of things. And there's support groups, a lot of these, you know, organizations that I work with and some not, you know, some kind of indirectly. <laughs> Sorry, I just threw okay. a pin at you. And I'm s- writing Al-Anon down. I remember. And, and so, and, and some kind of indirectly, like it's more... And I do believe that we don't, we just, a, a lot of people are doing great providing what they can. Right. But more family support, more groups, because they're always going to be involved. What is their, what is their involvement? Right. Is it healthy or unhealthy? Because yeah. that's a difference maker for the person that is going through it. For sure. Difference maker, for sure. So where do I, you know, what, what hands do I find to put them in? And to show them towards, and that may just be, I mean, it could be anywhere from helping them out initially, it could be giving them phone numbers, whatever that is right. for you, I, I, I can't necessarily say, but it's it's not it's not my hands, it's my love and support, here's what I can do, Yes. And but here's where I've called these places, here's where you could go and they have an opportunity for you. And that's not going to be a seamless process. You know, kind of like what you talked about, the relapse, or reoccurrence of use. Is it reoccurrence of use? Is that a better way? Uh, yeah. Sorry. I'm just throwing no, these is, out there as we go. Just no, so, this you know. is great. I, because I, like I said, I, um, I'm uneducated in this. And so this is what this is all about. And you're not offending me by any means. I love this. <laughs> reoccurrence of use. It, it's been, it's a process for me too. Because I'm like, you know, come from the, it's pretty... Kind of old, it's kind of old school how, you know, you would find recovery. It's like, do you get clean yet? Yeah. You know, kind of. <laughs> right. So, you know. Um, but anyhow, yeah. It's, um, that is kind of the way that you would do it. And you just find the, you find the right hands. You allow that process to, you know, progress. And there's going to be a lot of going back to the drawing board, you know, to have an expectation that, you know, hey, I found this resource for you, and you're going to hit out of the park, and we're going to be done here, and it's going to be one big happy family. And 18 months is—it's unrealistic. I mean, you yeah. don't—you just don't know. So right. to set an expectation on that, you're just set, you're setting yourself up to be like, you know what? I'm done with him forever. Yeah. He just can't figure it out. Right. Like it is going to be a process, and you just figure out how close you can get. That's all you can do. I want to talk to you about the grant because I want to come back. We said we were going to talk about it, and sure. I want to come back to it. Yep. So. Um, Give me just the business spiel about <laughs> yeah. about the opportunities that are, that are available that you have used or you know of and that you work with every day. Okay. Yeah, so 
the I guess the you know who I work with. Um, I'm so I'm the director of Recovery House of St. Louis. Um, we have eight houses. It's so it's sober living, transitional living for for men. Um, we don't have we part, you know our organization doesn't have women, but our like partner organizations do work with women, and we all have great relationships with each other. Right. You know, Missouri Network, Mo Better Living, um, Haven Homes, and some of the closer ones. You know, with us, but <clears throat> the. You know, so, so that's kind of like my main gig, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, Archway Institute's a nonprofit uh, that was started by uh, John Stuckey, who kind of gr- has groomed me from about a year into a year into my process. Um, and so, that's kind of something that we've all we're all near and dear and close to and work for. Um, some of us directly, some of us indirectly. Have a lot of events, education, awareness events, um, and which has been super cool for us and for the community, and uh, to bring all these organizations together. That's kind of what you know it's for. You know, just uh, it's like a similar to what NCADA does, it's which a community. is it's a community, which is why we've partnered with NCADA, um, which is how I'm now affiliated with NCADA, and I get the chance to work with their kiddos, the, yeah. the adolescents. So. Um, you know, in, in Arca, that's where that's a, we're owned. Recovery House is owned by Arca. They provide okay. all the medication for the organizations, the agencies, the partner agencies in St. Louis. So, if I go to a, a preferred family, if I go to a Gateway Foundation, then Arca Assisted Recovery Centers of America, like they are the ones that are providing the nurses, the doctors. And so they provide the medication. Got it. Like so, MAT is what's being used. You know, the Suboxone, Vivitrol, you know, Methadone. These medications are being used to take someone from active active use, and uh, you know, have it. It puts it puts their use in remission. It creates some separation from the last use. Develops some consistency. You know, because they can kind of have some clarity again. So that's that's what that does. Is it like a weaning off? I mean, I don't because I don't understand. Like, if I'm if I have methadone, sure, and then I was actively using. I come in, they're giving me these medications. Do they slowly take them away, like over a course of a month, or how long does that usually transition mm-hmm. out for a you know person? It, it it varies from person to person, right? It, it absolutely does. Um, you know, there's a lot of I, I can't. It varies. Okay. I don't want to give you know too much like yeah yeah like, it's no medical advice, but, yeah, it's, yeah. but it's but it's it's case by case. You know, I mean, the doctors got their factors and variables of when they feel as if it would be a good time to start to taper someone, yeah. depending on maybe like exterior or external stressors, stuff like that, or how they're how compliant they've been, you know, how right. consistent they've been. It's like I don't I don't want to start tapering you um, if you just had the. Uh, the loss of your mother yesterday. Let's start weaning you off this medication that you've adjusted to. Let's, right. let's maybe give it some time. Sure. Right? Um, and some desire to go from one medication to the other. And, you know, there's periods that you have to go abstinent uh, to get to that, like from Suboxone to Vivitrol. To you be, have to have a complete break in yeah, between? Seven, typically seven to ten days. Oh, wow. and, okay. and that's doctor's preference of whatever, you know, whatever they feel most comfortable with. But there's there's about a thousand one ways to do that. Um, but as far as the 
you know, I'm talking about all these organizations, but the Department of Mental Health has done a great job at providing the, you know, we've had a lot of people who wrote excellent grants. DMH has done a great job at um, dispersing the money into these organizations so then we can now, in different programs and projects all across the state of Missouri and St. Louis has been awesome. That's um, so great to hear. And they've opened their, you know, we've got a chance for everyone to kind of open their door. You know, Sober Living has been booming. You know, we have, we can use some of that money for housing. Um, you know, these organizations, these agencies, your preferreds, your gateways, your ARCAs, all that they now have the chance to see someone without, you know, $5,000 coming in the door. Like there is, there's no cost because of the sum of money that's been backed, you know, backed by it. So the medications are free. Access to treatment's been free. Um, sober living has been free at no cost, you know, and, and there's, you, you know, you kind of get, there's an amount of time with some of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you kind of have to start to, and it's in your best interest to start to look towards, you know, self-sustainability. Right. Um, but what the, the funding has done, the state targeted response was they changed to the state opioid response. That is the grant, state opioid response. Got it. Um, recovery support services grant. That's an, another block of, uh, of money as well. But they've used these two grants and just made a, a spider web with them, you know, opened up recovery community centers, um, you know, the, all the partner agencies, all the medicine, all the sober living. So there's just, you know, NCADA has been awesome as far as they are there to tell you where you need to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's kind of, that's their MO. Like that's the place to turn and they, they, it's a, and they, they triage, they, uh, they assess and, and direct and, and shoot you know where you where you need to be it sounds like it's never been easier to turn to help it has not it has not been easier to turn to help this is um i would i would err on the side of saying that this is the best that it has ever been that's so great um, for the state of missouri probably probably ever i mean it's been there's been a lot of stigma that's had to be broken right um i think with time the stigma will be dwindling even more. I do. Faster I, and faster. Faster and faster. I really do because I think that it's um, being acknowledged more and obviously it's being interviewed more. Uh, people are willing to talk about it more. You know, yeah. I just think that that whole stigma around it, I think people are slowly coming around to the idea, even if they are not somebody who has suffered with addiction, that they are, they know someone or they, somebody they care about knows somebody and it's starting to become real for everybody not just a small group of people it's kind of overreaching I think just the boldness of people that are in recovery I think that being bold like you are and hopefully you are um, being inspirational to to people and I hope this is inspirational that anybody listening to this maybe has been thinking about turning to the NCADA and deciding you know now is the time and maybe this is the catalyst you're the catalyst they will know where to turn and understand that it is a more welcoming environment with more resources and uh, and they'll get the help that they need. Absolutely. What is your expectation? I mean, do you live every day, day by day? Is that a real thing where people go, I'm taking it one day at a time? Or how do you set goals for yourself? I'm talking about you specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, do you set goals for yourself 
on a monthly basis, a yearly basis? Um, you know, do you celebrate your anniversary each year? Like, how do you how do you make sure that you hold yourself accountable for the rest of your life? Mm. I, I do a little something for a little something, at least a little something for my recovery each day. That's great. You know, you just got to find something. And it, may, and it may be as small as uh, reading the Jess for today and meditating on it for five minutes. It could be, you know, it could be meetings and, and then going back and writing through my prayer journal and going to my a small group or whatever it is. Right. Um, you know, so, but it's a, just a little something. And just, you know, for me, it's, I, I, I pray and I express my gratitude that I don't have a desire to use because right. it's, it's a, that's a miracle to me. That is an absolute miracle. I, I, right. You wake up for so long, and that's what pulls you. I just I, I am very thankful that that desire um, is not there. You know, just for today, I, I don't really say that desire will never come back because then I think that you can kind of start to become, like, complacent. You kind of become complacent and you're and, like, less willing to put forth, like, effort. Sure. To, you know, towards, you know, keeping... Um, the quality of life that you work so hard to get to. So it's like, kind of don't ever forget where you came from. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to, you know, go to 77 meetings in a day to remember that you're, you know, an addict or whatever, but um, a little something. I also, because I stalked you on Facebook briefly, I see you're in a relationship. I imagine that's a romantic relationship with someone. Yeah. It, um, you know, that she's been a, huge huge supporter of everything that that we do that's great you know and, and vice versa um, she's now she now works in the substitutes field as well at ARCA um, and she's I kind of was we, we were friends it was organic so we were friends before it ever like started yeah. and then just kind of one day it was just like hey uh, you want to you want to try this thing or I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so I met my husband, so I understand. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been it's been cool. It's been fun. Uh, I've you know I've, I've learned a lot about how to communicate. Isn't and, that fun? And, all that. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I'm like communicator of the year, right? You know, coming into it, and, and then and then it's you're in a relationship, and it's like wow, I'm I do this all day long, mm-hmm. working with people and defects and emotions, and, and, and there's still a level you gotta hit with like us ladies. Exploited in every way, yes. you know. But um, that's been it's been good, and uh, it's been really healthy, well balanced kind of thing. We share a lot of the same same values. That's wonderful, um, and so it's it's helped. It's a line of accountability for me as well. I imagine that it makes you that much stronger in the relationship sense to have gone through such a life already and have an experience like you've had. Um, and I, you know, I, I think that um, personally, our relationships, like for me, I, I love people. Like I, I have to have, yeah, I have too. to have connections yeah. with people, or else I'll just like cease. I'll just like go up into dust. Um, and so, and I love communicating. It's why I do for a living, obviously. And um, my husband, just like you, has 
had to understand, like, he always makes... Well, he's very quiet, monotoned, and <laughs> more even keel than I am. And people are always like, what is the dynamic here? And, you know, we both... I have to learn how to restrain myself from having all of the emotions come out of my mouth. And he has to learn how to have some come out mm-hmm. of his mouth. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic. But, you know, I, it's usually that people will help you along the way with your life. And we need people to kind of facilitate ourselves... But I think, um, you know, going through what you, everything that you know. Because how old are you? 29? 28. 28. Yep. You were 28 years old. And to me, you've had a couple of lives, in yep. my opinion. And I think that on the contrary of people helping you, I think you can help people realize things about themselves. Not just in the recovery sense, but in just the humanity sense. Because really, it's kind of like a rebirth, or maybe not rebirth, but it's, it's getting to know yourself in a level that's like completely different than what I've done with myself. And I think that that's really interesting. And like, I don't, you know, just talking to you, we've never met, like I said earlier, yeah. trying to imagine what your life is and like how every, every step of it. And I don't know, it just seems like you've lived a couple of lives so far. It definitely has. It, you know, I, I remember hearing. You know, the someone that stu- has has gone through an addiction has the opportunity to live two different lives. That's what they say. Or? Yeah. Oh wow. That's okay. What, and I, I heard that young, and I was like, wow, what a cool, you know, what, I mean? what a what a cool chance, like what a cool right. opportunity. Right. Um, just because you to to go through, I would not, I wouldn't be the person I am without that. Like I, I'm so thankful for that time in my life. You know, like, I, I respect it. You know, I'm, I'm thankful for it. I appreciate the lessons that I that are learned through it. Um, and so definitely you, like, hug a little tighter, you know, listen a, a little a little closer. And, um, yeah, it's it, it does change the way you, you kind of live with a different sense of, of gratitude. He is a bright young man. Thank you to Jordan Hampton for telling me his story which, my goodness, what a long, strange trip it has been for him. And like we said, you know, two lives that he's really lived. And you can tell that he's just so grateful for all of the moments that have led up to this moment. And he's able to share his perspective and what he knows and firsthand experience of what it can be like if you suffer from addiction. There's so many resources that we talked about in this episode. Uh, I wanted to just kind of simplify it and give you the NCADA, their web address in case you or somebody you know may need it. So NCADA-STL.org. And I hope that if you or somebody you know is in need of the resources available, you understand that it has never been easier to get a hold of your life and to use what is available to get better and get on your way to recovery. And I wish that for everyone. So yeah, much thanks to Jordan Hampton. It was so nice to meet him and and learn more about his story. Next month, we will uh, be out November 6th and it will be a female. So be on the lookout for that. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Live and Learn podcast. Until next month, you be good out there. Peace.